got a thousand shirts sitting there to be lined up. I take my drug dealing kit and I say, look, we're going to make $2 on every single shirt that we print out there. We're going to print 900 shirts an hour. How many, how much money are you going to make? And they're like, oh man, $1,800. You know, they're going to profit $1,800. And I'm like, man, that's drug dealing money right there. <laughs> you know, and just kind of kick it back at them. Welcome to an army of normal folks. I'm Bill Courtney. I'm a normal guy. I'm a husband. I'm a father, I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm a football coach in inner city Memphis. And the last part unintentionally led to an Oscar for the film about our football team. It's called Undefeated. I believe our country's problems will never be solved by a bunch of fancy people in nice suits talking big words that nobody understands on CNN and Fox. Rather, an army of normal folks, us, you and me, just deciding, hey, I can help. That's what Bob Zacchio, the voice we just heard, has done. Realizing that traditional therapy was failing kids with substance abuse and mental health challenges, he was sick of it. So one day, an average guy, Bob, decided, I'm going to do something different. He started Project Lift. It has now grown to training thousands of troubled teens in 11 different trades. Ironically, they do therapy in natural settings. Rather than sitting on a couch, they get under the hood of the car and they do therapy while the kids are doing things they enjoy. Wait till you hear about the success rate. It's amazing. So let's get started right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Bob Zacchio, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Bill. Thanks for having me on. This is great. What kind of name is Zaccio? Z-A-C-C-H-E-O. What is what is that? Greek? What is that really? <laughs> it's Italian. My grandmother uh, often used to say I had to I had to marry an Italian in order to keep the bloodline going. Uh, fortunately, I found a very very awesome Irish lady 
who uh, really balances me out. So the, the funny part was introducing her to my grandmother, right? So I told her beforehand, I said, don't don't uh, tell her you're Irish. That could be a, that could be a problem. Could be a deal killer. <laughs> did, uh, are you, did your grandparents, did you, were the grandparents first immigrants here? Ah, uh, yeah, they were. My uh, my grandfather and my grandmother on my on my dad's side came through Ellis Island, actually. Yep. Unbelievable. That is very, very, very cool. So, where'd you grow up? I grew up in South Florida, actually the hometown uh, of uh, Stewart, Florida, which is uh, on the southeast coast of, of Florida. My family moved here back in the early '70s, and never less. So, so my family were. They kind of were in the the drywall and aluminum stud, you know, trade up in New York. And uh, uh, one of my dad's brothers decided to move down here, and they all followed him, and eventually kind of settled their their little life here in a in a town that had about eighteen thousand people in it at the time. And now we're right around one hundred and fifty five thousand in our in our little town of Martin County. My uncles all tell me the stories about how they. You know, went went straight from uh, putting the drywall in the Twin Towers to kind of the next jobs were building the condos out on the island, the barrier islands out here in South Florida. Hey, I, I, what uh, you, something you may not know about me is my undergraduate degrees in psychology. I did. I learned that uh, watching the movie. I know why I chose that discipline to study. Um, and it's because I was really bad at math. Um, why did you choose it? Oh, you know, interestingly, Bill, like, you know, it was, you know, one of those things I, I was one of the first in my family to ever go to college. Right. And I had no business being there. And I would absolutely, you know, stand behind that no matter who's on the phone with me. But um, my family, you know, back in that time, I'm 46 years old. Back then it was everybody went to college, period. Right. And you had really no choice. So I go to college. I had no no direction. I had no idea what I really wanted to do. And so I had gone to play football up at a small Division three school in Philadelphia called Widener University. A really good Division three football team. And we enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed myself doing that. But uh, so here's the reason why I went into psychology. There's no smoking gun on this. But... I go into it's my, going into my junior year, right? And again, I'm you know, first want to go to college, have no guidance on any of this stuff. You know, probably should have just went for a business degree and and kind of went on from there, entrepreneurial you know uh, components. But I go in to see my guidance counselor as I was just about to be a junior in, in college, and she said, "Look, you got to choose a major." And I was like, "Oh, I I didn't really think about that." And uh, she said, well, you need to choose one. I said, well, what will get me out of here the fastest? There it is. <laughs> and she said, psychology. And I said, well, sign me up for that. I'll take that. <laughs> so I kid you not, Bill, that's how I decided on on psychology. Um, you know, got into some of the classes, really enjoyed what I was doing. But really, the, the, re- the, the, the reality was uh, getting in to do the internships and the practicums. I got opportunities to do things that was really in the field. And that's um, that's really what piqued my interest about psychology. I uh, actually remember those days as well, and it's it's interesting. I mean, human behavior is interesting. It's it's often exciting and heartbreaking as well. But you know, I, I guess that's what we're here to to talk to you about. So you got a graduate degree, and um, you did that because you realized you really can't do much in therapy with just a bachelor's degree. 
And then you also, in your infinite wisdom, decided you wanted to work with at-risk youth who are struggling with drugs and alcohol, a really easy, uplifting group of kids to work with. Uh, Bob, are you out of your mind? I mean, why did you want to work with this particular demographic? So when I did, a, I did a practicum in Wilmington, Delaware, and I don't know, I, I probably told this story before, not to a ton of people, but I typically, I, I try my best to not get emotional about this particular component, but I grew up in an intergenerational poverty family, right? So we didn't have a ton of stuff. You know, my parents loved each other to stay married. It wasn't like I you know, grew up in a divorced home or anything like that, but but I ended up taking an, an, an internship in Wilmington, Delaware. And uh, this was back when I was in undergraduate school. And my job at the probation office, the juvenile probation office there in Wilmington, Delaware, was to transport kids from you know, Philadelphia. They'd been in a detention center up in the Philadelphia area. And I had to transport them you know, through some of the inner city uh, projects there. I had never seen it before, Bill. Like I grew up in South Florida. So I didn't know what a row home was or kind of a ghetto or any of that stuff. So here I am kind of, you know, transporting back and forth this, you know, quintessential white guy, you know, driving back and forth through some ghettos and, you know, picking up kids in detention centers and driving them down to Wilmington. And one day I, we, I picked up this kid and he um, sat back in my car. He's 14 years old. Yeah, he must have been six foot four, just a great you know from what i could tell just a great young man great conversation he's in the back of the car and i'm driving down i-95 between philadelphia and wilmington delaware in one of the you know transport cars for the probation office and i don't know if you know that area very well or not but it's like 12 lanes of i-95 like it's a very big highway i'm driving down that road and i'm having this conversation with this kid back and forth which was typical. I'd have, I'd try my best to talk to him, you know, talk to whoever I was driving with. And all of a sudden he jumps over the back of the seat of the car and grabs the steering wheel of the car and ran, and pulls it to the right and rams us into one of those guardrails. And he's apparently six foot four, 200 and something pounds. So you didn't have much you could do. No, I was a, you know, a linebacker. So it was, wasn't like I couldn't handle myself, but at the same time, it was like, holy crap. Honestly, what I thought happened was I thought we got rear-ended. Like, I thought we got hit from behind. You know wow. what I mean? Like, I, I couldn't comprehend what had happened. And he, so all of a sudden, we're in this rail. We're in this, you know, this concrete bunker. Right now, no cell phones. It's whatever, 1998 or 97, something like that. And I'm like, holy, what just happened? I, you know, squeal to a stop, stop in the middle of the road. This kid jumps out of my, out of my car in like leapfrogs across every lane of the highway. Do you remember the arcade game Frogger? For Frogger, exactly. If you can, <laughs> if you can visualize this kid doing a Frogger across the north and southbound lanes of I-95 between Philadelphia and Wilmington. So, you know, it takes a little bit of time, but, you know, police come and, you know, rescue and all that other stuff. And, and sure enough, my supervisor shows up to the scene, right? And my supervisor says to me, um, I'll never forget this because it just pissed me off. He said, he said, what'd you let him run away for? 
<laughs> right. Sure. And, and I had the same reaction you just had, Bill. Like I well, was like, no, I mean, I, I might have said, have you ever tried to catch Frogger? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Uh, by the way, he was really fast. Um, and how come we aren't thinking of it this way, though, Bill? Like, cause this is this is really the the question is, what made this kid so scared that he wanted to ram my car into a guardrail? And that was the that was the burning question that I had was, and that's what really lit my fire more than anything. Did you find out why he did it? No, I think I worked there for about a, a whole nother three days because they wanted me to fill out all kinds of incident reports and blaming me for the accident and all this other bull. And uh, you know, you know, bottom line, you know, I'm 21 years old, uh, having been in a you know horrible you know little incident, and I'm also processing my own personal growth, right? Never been exposed to anything like that, and and so really, what lit lit me up was, I knew at that point I had to go do something about that. Like I don't, I didn't know what it was that I had to do, but I do know that God was calling me to do something greater with my life, using my talents to help people at the highest level I possibly could. We'll be right back. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Bob, you said you you grew up in a socioeconomically disadvantaged although you had a family um you clearly knew what it was like not to uh to probably have your basic needs met but not to have a lot of wants satisfied did you identify with these kids at all you know looking back on it um i don't know that i I was probably caught up in my own selfish 21 year old world um, but you know, the bottom line was I grew up in what, you know, what I, I term as, you know, inter intergenerational poverty is that my parents, you know, I'd go home at night and the electricity be off, you know, the mortgage wasn't paid, uh, no food in the fridge, that kind of thing. But my parents loved me. It wasn't like there was not love in the house. You know, my, my mom and dad stayed married. There wasn't divorce. Um, my, my sisters and I had kind of that, like you said, the basic needs of everything that we could want, which is probably why they really wanted me to get out of there, go to college, get out and see, see something different. But, 
I don't know that it's even appropriate for me to to put myself in another person's shoes, especially that kid's shoes, because I don't know what it's like to li- to walk a mile in that kid's shoes. And if I ever tried to convince that kid that I had walked a mile in his shoes, he probably would have called me a liar and told me to get out of the car myself. And I understand as well as the next guy, there's, there's, you know, in a situation like that, there's all kinds of differences that, that can help you. Yeah. Uh, feel for a person, but not, not say you really get it. But in your case, it's interesting to understand now that, you know, there, there were times that you would come home and the lights were off and you know what it is to be scared and poor. And, and as, as a psychologist, you know, this better than anybody that's listening to us is that of course there was love in your house. And I, and I hear that and that's wonderful, but I don't, I don't care how much love there is in the house for an adolescent or a young teen to come home to the lights off that has an effect and there is some trauma in that. And, and it, in my opinion, does guide where we go from there. Would you not agree with that? I absolutely would. I mean, you know, you've got, you know, trauma is trauma and how we receive trauma is, you know, different amongst us all. You know, um, I, you know, hearing my kids, my own kids complain about, you know, not having whatever the, the next great thing is. And I, you know, you, you process it differently through your developmental stage. Here I am, 46 years old, processing what that must have been like for my dad to have to see that when he came home, you know, and uh, for my mom to have to, to deal with those things, which uh, what you know in generational poverty, whether whether it has to do with not having you know enough you know cash assistance or whatever it is that you have going on, is it you know it's followed by depression, anxiety, stress, attention deficit hyperactivity is very pr- predominant in that type of setting, and then also the family functional issues and substance use disorders, like all of those things follow suit, you know, and when you when you kind of are predestined in a lot of ways because your parents really don't even know that they're in it uh, or don't know what it is that they're dealing with or know how to help you understand what the next step of your life is supposed to be. Well, how the heck am I supposed to teach that to the next generation? How am I supposed to teach that to my kids? Uh, You know, you got to have a a pretty considerable amount of self-awareness to to make it through. And how are the kids supposed to know anything different when that's all they see coming up? You know, and you know what the interesting part was, I think more than anything was uh, the dignity associated with it. Right there was there was dignity associated with you know the fact that I could get a free meal at school, or uh, you know it, it, I know it's a weird comment to make, but it's the reality is that that's kind of where we found our dignity. It was you know hey the 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 cash assistance just came in, that was kind of our dignity going to the mailbox. Here's why all this matters to me. I want to I want to go forward and, and talk about the amazing things that you and your organization have done. But this program is an army of normal folks. And most importantly, is that our listeners are normal folks. And all too often, we talk about the amazing things people have done. Um, but I think it's important that we qualify what a normal folk is. And our normal folk is a guy who's the grandson of immigrants who moves to Florida with his family, who lives in generational poverty, who lived the lights being turned off in their house, 
and who played football and who went to school and uh, got an internship at 21 and through that process learned that they wanted to be in the psychology field and a kid plays Frogger across an interstate and it makes you interested in what makes them tick but in your own real experience you also understand some of what makes them tick because you lived it and I can't think of a more average guy than that <laughs> yeah I just kind of want to cry a little bit Bill like I haven't really heard my, su- my life summarized like that uh, you know, you know, except for the conversations I have in my head about, you know, the components of, you know, uh, the reality of people not really understanding what I've been through. You experienced what you experienced. You grew the way you grew. It made you part of who you are. And now you're a psychologist dealing with kids um, who are poverty at risk kids who've been in and out of trouble with the law and you're and and briefly just tell me so that those listening to us can understand it you're sitting in your desk and you're spending 45 minutes with a kid and you're trying to build rapport but it's feels futile yeah i mean the reality is you know i did have the altruistic views of you know sitting inside of a clinical office and doing you know doing treatment with families and teenagers and and so on and i specialized working with 14 and 19 year old teenage boys that were struggling with drugs and alcohol. That was my specialty. And, and rightfully so it's what I gravitated to. I understood it. I really enjoyed that part. And it probably a lot, you know, like you were saying had to do with, Hey, what could have I done better? Which is, you know, you have the uh, transference components of, of uh, psychology that you have to be really careful, right? Transferring your own emotion onto another person. But, you know, one day just sitting in my office, just very, very frustrated with doing treatment inside of that clinical office. Um, because you just don't get anywhere. I mean, if you ever, you ever ask to a 16 year old boy, uh, how they're feeling, uh, you get the one word response, right? It's like good, fine, fine, you know, and that's cool, it. Cool, fine. Or F you. How about that one? Yeah. You, well, that's two words, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that is two words. Sorry. Uh, yeah. in, in Italian though, it's one fungal. But we can agree that you get a very dismissive tone, short answers, because let's face it, a 16-year-old boy really isn't interested in telling you about his feelings. A lot of it was judges making them go see Bob, and therapists like Bob basically had 50-minute appointments to change their lives, which is ridiculous and will never work. And so Bob said, there's got to be a better way. So let me kind of, you know, brief you on this story. So one day I brought a fishing rod to work with me and I had no intention of doing any treatment with any of the kids I was working with. I just was going to tie a dry fly on the end of a fly fishing rod, which is a plastic bait on a fly fishing rod. And you could you could actually make them. There's like come in these little kits and you can make them. So I'm sitting there with the first kid. We tie up this knot. We put it on the end of this fly rod. And I said to the kid, now, we had no conversation. We didn't talk at all, right? Because you don't talk because that's what's happening. It's like goodwill hunting in there. So I said, okay, hey, how about we bring this rod out to the back of my, my office? There's a little pond back there. I'll teach you how to cast the rod. The kid's like, great, let's do that. We go to the back and I start teaching him how to cast this fly fishing rod and that, with this little bait that he made on the end of the rod into the, into the pond. And literally before the bait was hitting the water, the kid's telling me all about his, you know, promiscuous mom, his drunk dad, 
and all the anger that he felt. And I was like, okay, that was easy. I got him out of the office and he starts talking, right? Hands moving and obviously their, their mouths start opening. So what I found was there was nothing unique about taking a kid fishing, but what I did next was really unique. I called a buddy of mine who was an ASE certified mechanic and I, who was also in recovery, so he understood the processes of substance use disorders. And I said to him, I go, hey, would you teach these kids how to do automotive repair while I do psychotherapy underneath the hood of a car? And that was 13 years ago. So Bob left a job where he was making $150,000 a year to start this nonprofit, Project Lift, where the first salary he took was 31,000 bucks. But Bob couldn't not do this. He felt called to try to save these at-risk teens, most of which are sent to him by judges for substance abuse and mental health challenges. And now they're doing therapy alongside a lot more than cars. So Project Lift, it's a, you know, this is the, the, the 32nd elevator speech on it, or pitch on it, is that Project Lift is a mental health and substance abuse program that utilizes the vocational trades as a vehicle into a kid's life, right? Because we have to take a look at replacement behaviors in a much different way, right? That's, what, that's all cognitive behavioral therapy is. It's replacing behaviors. It's resilience-based. So how do I enact resiliency inside of a kid and, and effectively replace behavior, nefarious behavior? So when I went in front of a judge and I said, hey, this is what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be teaching them the trades and we're going to do replacement behavior with automotive repair and carpentry and boat building and welding and all these other, you know, boat, anything that we could get our hands on. We, we build airplanes here now, we have HVAC programs, we have 11 different trades that we teach. And when I went to them and told, actually, we even do metal forging here. So that was a funny one going in front of the judge and saying, hey, we're making knives now uh, with these kids that have been adjudicated, <laughs> which was which is a lot of fun. And that actually we're happened on we're action. We're sending the kids back to you with a homemade party. <laughs> right. And that was a funny one because uh, we were up uh, we were doing, doing an appearance with one of the kids doing an update. And the judge said, uh, his name's Judge Levin, one of the best judges in, in the universe, universe, totally got this system. Um, and was uh, was on board from day one. Uh, he was actually the chief judge at the time. I'm standing there with one of the kids, and the, the Judge Levin said, "So, so how's it going over there at Project Lift?" And and the kid goes, "It's awesome. I I made a knife." <laughs> <laughs> what we know is that if I'm sitting in a clinical session with a kid and having a, a behavioral session, emotional or behavioral, it doesn't matter, and I open up that therapeutic window on that kid, and then close it back down with some tools that that kid can go home with so that he can deal with the fact that he's getting the crap kicked out of him or he's dealing with the lights being off like we talked about earlier or just dealing with the, the shortage of assets or depression, anxiety, and stress. Well, the bottom line is those tools are only going to last so long in that kid's toolkit, right? And then eventually uh, they'll disappear. And what we find is that the original behavior gets worse because the tool the tools that we were teaching inside that 45 minute session were gone now. But instead, if we replace it with something that has dignity, hope, and promise in a future, right? Uh, like a 2800 degree oxyacetylene torch, like teaching a kid how to, how to weld, like giving them something that 99.9% .9 of the rest of the world has no idea how to do, right? Gives them dignity. It gives them an effective replacement. So instead of being a really great drug dealer, like, oh, you know, hey, I'm really good at this. I'm a really good salesman. I, I always say my drug dealing kids are all, they're entrepreneurs. They're the easiest ones to change, right? Because all I have to do is just teach them the value of money. It's not about the drugs. It's about the money. 
It's about the money. Yeah, it's and, about the economy, stupid. It's it, and they're incredible entrepreneurs, right? And and I I uh, I often pitch it like that so that I can get that kid to really see it in a much different way, right? It's I I try to tell them like, oh, you know, how much does the average drug dealer make? Especially when we're doing one of our manufacturing components here. You know, one of the things that we have a partnership with uh, with a trust company here in our town, and they uh, we teach them how to build the basic framework sort of, of of a trust and. So I'm starting to teach them, you know, the value of uh, each instructor actually teaches them the value of what you can make on the construction of that trust or T-shirt printing or whatever it is that we do. And I always say to the kid, like, hey, how much do you think the average drug dealer makes? And they're like, man, my such and such brings home two grand a night, three grand, you know, whatever. And I go, no, I'm like, it, they make three dollars and 13 cents an hour. <laughs> and, and they're like what and take all the risk and, and they take all the risk and i said no google it and sure enough you can google it right you'll find that the average drug dealer makes about three dollars and 13 cents per hour and i said and you're the one that goes to jail at night i said now let's talk about the guy that just built this trust you know and the and what he's taking home per hour and what that looks like and or we'll do a manufacturing component that has to do with our t-shirts like we we print thousands of t-shirts a week out of here out of our social enterprise that we have here at project lift and they, uh, you know, you got a thousand shirts sitting there to be lined up. I take my drug dealing kid and I say, look, we're going to make $2 on every single shirt that we print out there. We're going to print 900 shirts an hour. How many, how much money are you going to make? And they're like, oh man, $1,800, you know, they're going to profit $1,800. And I'm like, man, that's drug dealing money right there. <laughs> and just kind of kick it back at them. And, you know, and that's the way our traf our, our staff is trained. They're trained with the, the, I love you. I care about you. And I can't wait to see you tomorrow attitude. Here's the deal. Yeah. You got Bob, who's a psychologist, who says this isn't working, catches lightning over a fishing rod, gets a buddy who's a recovering addict to help him in a mechanic shop, and it has grown to how many kids have been through your door now? Uh, we see about a thousand a year. A thousand a year. And what is the success rate of the kids that come through your program that that don't, I, I guess, is recidivism? Yeah, uh, recidivism. I don't know what the yeah. right word is. What's what's the word? Yeah, recidivism is right. Is, you know, how many are, re, you know, uh, re-offenders are adjudicated. So we've been actually measuring that for 13 years. And we compare that number from juvenile record to adult record. And we compare it every year, every single kid that's been through Project Lift, which is uh, now we're looking at, you know, well, well over 5,000 kids at this point is um, we we compare that uh, that juvenile record to the adult record. And what we found is that 72 percent of the kids that come through Project Lift never get back into the system again. What is the national average that 27 percent? So you're three times better, three times better. These are not a thousand kids. These are thousand of the most challenged kids, right? You know, 87% of the of the teens and young adults that come through Project Lift can successfully complete our programs. 93% successfully complete them drug-free. Uh, so meaning that only, and I'll kind of give you the statistics on the back end here too, is 19% of the kids that come to Project Lift on intake, only 19% of them can pass a drug test, right? So the other, you know, whatever, 81% can't even pass a drug test. And here we are with 93% of them at discharge passing their urine drug testing, you know, uh, scenarios. And, 
you know, to me, that's really what it um, <clears throat> what it boils down to is clear minded decision making. We'll be right back. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Bob, I, I, I think about the 72% success rate, and I think about all starting with, with Mr. Frogger going across the interstate, and, you know, from that number one to 5,000, um, tell me your favorite story. What is, what is your favorite success story so far? Oh, man, there's, I got so many of them. I'm going to, I have to go with two. The first one um met this um this young man this is going back years ago uh his name was bruce tomas and uh rural enclave out of you know the um you know kind of western side of our town and you know he was the breadwinner for the family uh you know he was probably 16 at the time when i met him and i mean it's you know pretty pretty normal you know a hispanic family and uh, you know, likely, you know, so many different things were, ha- were happening, right? So I know one of the components was his dad had gotten deported and, uh, you know, it was right around a time when they were really cracking down on illegal immigrants and all kinds of crazy things were going on. And so I got hold of this kid and um, his family had been through some pretty significant trauma. You know, I had an uncle who sure got caught in a chopper and, you know, one of the those wood choppers and dragged him in and just just horrible trauma that had gone on in this family's life and you know after that that's kind of how I started seeing him was because of this trauma and then uh you know shortly after that his sister was killed in a car accident coming around one of the bends and at the time we we had kicked off project lift with a boat building program restoration and boat building because that's pretty big in our area and again you know when you look at you know, expanding these programs, you have to see what the communities are doing. And so I, we started teaching that. So we started teaching um, uh, what's called carbon infusion, right? So it's a technique of vacuum bagging uh, hulls of boats so that you can make them nice and smooth and then you can sand them down. And we started teaching Bruce this technique. 
got him connected with one of our industry partners and kind of cleaned him up a bit and just in terms of his his life got him clean from drugs and alcohol right drug testing all the time because he was numbing himself i mean the trauma that that kid had gone through i i didn't did not blame him one minute for wanting to numb himself right sure and um got him clean and sober got him kind of into the into that position of you know feeling loved again and feeling hope and promise taught him how to do this vacuum bagging process now this vacuum bagging process it's not a whole lot of people know how to do it and it's you know carbon infusion you see these big sport fishing vessels that do it and um, we got him a, a job at a company called american custom yachts one of the largest boat builders in the country right they're they're known for their sport fishing yachts and all this other stuff so it must have been two years three years later you know after he had graduated been through had the job i hadn't seen him for a while and i was just at i was at 7-eleven normal guy right uh normal guy 7-eleven walking through the thing and I hear Mr. Bob, Mr. Bob. And I look over and it's Bruce, right? And it took me a second to grab his name, right? Cause you know, you know how it is uh, with the amount of kids that you see through stuff. And, and I was like, oh my God, Bruce, how are you? How are you doing? He's like, he pulls up on his phone and shows me a picture of a 72 foot sport fishing vessel that he just finished vacuum bagging. And he was just like, Mr. Bob, like this is the great, you know, he just was so proud to show me everything that he was doing. Then he pulls up a picture, you know, of his kid and all the things that were going on in his life. And I knew that he had had done it. Now, it, it, you know, telling that story, it's not like this, this big burning bush story of something, right? But to me, it was like <clears throat> I had done what I was supposed to do, you know, and that's what was important to me. That moment of seeing this kid who had had never even heard of a vacuum bag before and carbon infusion and all the stuff now was supporting his family in a way that I, I, I was, I would struggle doing. I mean, it's just amazing. Let me move on. From that, that is, story. Hey, I hey, no, Bob, that is, but that is, that is, I mean, just think about it. Father deported, uncle killed in a chipper, Sister killed in a car wreck, 16 years old, drug and alcohol abuse, supporting a very broken family, whatever was left over, left of it. And and through this through this work you've done through the organization, he's got a smile on his face and he has hope and he's clean. I mean, I, I get it. That's it was awesome. And for him to tell me the story, he's he's like, I'm the he he said he was the lead on that. He I remember him saying I was the lead. I was the lead. Right. You know, and I, I, maybe I'll just tell that one story because it's enough for me. I know. No, I want to know the second one. Now, now you got me a little choked up. I want to hear number two. <laughs> uh, I got to say, probably this one was um, this story. And I, you know, we have tons of recent stories, but I like the old ones because it was just me. I mean, you know, I think that's the, the weird part is like it was just me and a couple of volunteers at the time. And, um, you know, one of the things that we like to do at Project Lift is that we like to give away cars. So we've given away 155 cars now. So we get cars donated to us in our automotive repair program. We, we, we repair them and then we have the kids give the cars away to people in the community that need cars. So that's awesome. Well, it, it, it helps change their thinking, right? It, well, it, yeah, because instead of taking, they're given, they're given, right. And it's a paradigm shift, right? And a lot of times these kids that are giving cars away like this with us every, every year, um, they're giving at bigger levels than most of the, 
you know, most of the people in our community give. I mean, you're giving away a five, $6,000 car to a family that's in need. Like it's, uh, it's something special. So I wanted to do that right, right, th right from the very beginning. I knew we needed to give away uh, some, something to our, we needed to teach the kid how to give. And I uh, had this young man named Ray who was working uh, for Project Lift. And I say working because I think it's a, an important delineation, right? It's to destigmatize the processes. It's mental health programming, but in their minds, they were coming to work, right? They're coming to work because that's a destigmatization process. So uh, we, it, the news, local newspaper had caught wind of us giving away a car. So they sent over their, you know, best reporter and she comes down and I got this, um, uh, a couple of, it must've been three or four kids I was working with at the time. And it was a Toyota 4Runner. It was a, I don't know, it was a, I don't know, 1995 Toyota 4Runner or something like that. And, and the family we were given the car to, there was like seven, the lady had seven kids right? And I said, look, you got to stop having kids. They don't make a big enough car they, for your like, family. I don't know how, like, I got to give you two cars, but you don't have anybody old enough to right. drive. So, so I'm standing here with Ray and I um, got my arm around him and we're all kind of posing for this picture. And, um, the kid, Ray looks at me and he goes, just, just, just before the picture is taken, I actually have the picture somewhere. I got to find it. Uh, but he looks at me and he says, Mr. Bob, I'm used to stealing cars, not giving them away. That was the moment that I knew we always had to give away cars. So anyways, fast forward, Ray did really well. He ended up learning welding from us. It was kind of that introduction to welding. And we got him a position at the Pipefitters Union down in Palm Beach County. So he did go through an apprentice program and ended up going into um, the welding you know, field, uh, working across the country, doing you know, pipes and all kinds of crazy things. And so anyways, fast forward, and one of our other kids that came through Project Lift, they're all not successes, but um, you know, we worked with him for a while. His name was Tyler, and unfortunately he was, um, uh, my dad would have called it like Shylock and you know, guns, right? He would loan guns out and so on. And, and we're working with him and trying to figure out how to get him out of that scene and get him clean and get him a job and a career and all that stuff. But unfortunately, the street caught up to him and he was shot and killed. So uh, I, um, I'm sitting where, right where I was sitting when I heard the news of that. Uh, so kind of a little memory just uh, flashed in my brain. And then, so anyways, I talked to, to his mom and you know, we go out there and we end up doing a, uh, I get an opportunity to speak at his funeral. And, uh, you know, I had some scripture and, you know, there's nothing that can make any of this better, right? It's, you know, the worst thing that can happen. It's your worst day as a, as a therapist. It's your worst day as a, a mentor. It's nothing good about it, right? So I leave and we're walking down the street and I was with my dad. I brought my dad and my daughters with me and we're walking out of the, out of the church and up comes from behind comes Ray. And he says, hey man, I just want to say, can I, can we go out to lunch? Right. They, he wanted to go out to lunch. I hadn't seen him in years. He had been, you know, doing his thing out working in the fields or in the uh, pipe, pipe fitters fields and all that stuff. I said, yeah, I would love to. Right. I, I wouldn't have recognized him if you had, you know, told me it was him. Right. So we go out to go out to eat. And um, this was the really the, the part. Again, these are the moments that that they're just the great stories. And I sat down with him and we ate dinner or ate lunch and he's telling me about his family and about all the things he was doing. And, you know, and he said, I just want to say thank you for 
uh, for taking me in at the time. He was a Jamaican Im- immigrant uh, family uh, from that was living out in in one of the the rural enclaves again of of our town. And and um, the check came to the table, and I went to go grab the check, right? Because that's what we do, right? Is we <laughs> we do this. We get the check. We take the check because that's what we do, and. He slapped my hand down on the table and grabbed the check. And he's like, I got this. And to me, that was one of the single best moments I ever could have imagined. And I wasn't going to steal his blessing. I, I, you know, I let him, let him pay for the meal because it was something that he really, really wanted to do to say thank you. And it was I don't know, it just a, was a moment for me of this major success of this kid that not only did he make something out of his life in a really bad situation, because he did come from, and you talk about generational poverty and raising himself, he was, he was way down on that pole. And uh, for him to come in and just say thank you and grab that check to me was, I'll never forget that. It, it, it is a, a unbelievably satisfying and rewarding thing. It's happened to me as well. When you see a kid who's had almost had been forced to grow up patently selfish to yeah. survive, to show as a result of some of the work that he's done, selflessness, it is, it, it is, um, I, I feel that story because I've seen it and I understand it for I sure. I could tell you success story after success story, jobs and, and you know, families and families being repaired. But when you see it at that level in a one-on-one moment. Yeah, it's very it, personal. It changes you. We'll be right back. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
Bob, I'm not a very smart guy, which makes me kind of meat and potatoes and if I've got to boil it down. But if I listen to you, if I understand our conversation, it turns out if you um, give kids something interesting to do and reward them and allow them to change their addiction from weed to actual dollars, give them a glimpse of what employing those things in their life and as an adult can do for them, it turns out they might be able to find some success in their yeah, life. Yeah, well, it's more than might. You know, we have evidence to support that it's a pretty much a guarantee. You know, when you put an effective replacement behavior in and it's something that has dignity associated with it, that's the key, right? You know, I gotta, I'd be remiss if I, you know, I, I cannot say that this is all me. You know, number one, I point point to, to my Lord and Savior, like, I gotta tell you, like, I, I can't do this without being face down on the ground. The people that work for these kids every single day, the staff that we work with, they have the same mantra. It is, I love you, I care about you, and I cannot wait to see you again tomorrow. And when you have that as your, uh, as your first steps in, when you start with love, when you start with just that basic minimum viable product of love, that's where you see an amazing staff and amazing team come together and change, change lives. That is beautiful stuff. It is absolutely true. I have felt that in my own life. I've seen that in my own life. I've been on, I've been both the giver and recipient of, of that. And, and it is true. And, and it, and it doesn't, it, it, you are living proof, Bob, that it doesn't take a bunch of money. It doesn't take some special degree. It's just uh, an average guy paying attention to the things around them and finding a place where they can fit in and make a difference. And you, my friend, have answered a question. And for decades, I'm, I'm 53 years old, and, and I think the question has been asked by the right, the left, Christian, non-Christian, every race under the sun we continue to decade after decade ask the question how do we break the proverbial cycle and and to, to hear that you are a guy who's found a way to help break that cycle not only through being creative not only through being willing to work hard but by also just showing some genuine human compassion um, and you know what? That's something every single body on the face of this planet can do to make their culture and societies better. And that is what it means to be a part of the army of normal folks. Mm. No, you're right. You know, I, I, um, yeah, I watched the, you watched the documentary and, you know, I was, I, I had so many knee jerks watching what you were doing. And the biggest knee jerk I had, take the football away, take the, the torch away, take everything out of it. What, what resonated the most with me was when you'd wrap your arms around those kids and say, I love you. And it was like, they'd never heard it before. No, they hadn't. And I, I, I'll tell you a story, you know, that was year seven, year two, I can't remember which player it was, unfortunately, but the, the kid was having a bad day. He showed up to practice pissed off. He screwed up a couple times, and I've got a coaching mantra that is, 
you can beat them up all you want to as long as you love them up twice as hard as you beat them up. And so I ripped on him pretty good because I hold my players accountable. And, boy, I could tell he was angry, he was frustrated, he was sad. And so, you know, just tongue-in-cheek as a joke, I looked at him. I said, man, you need a hug. And he's like, a hug? Grown men don't hug, right? And I said, no, come here, we're going to hug. And I mean, he turned in. He turned from a seventeen-year-old, six-foot-two, two hundred and thirty-pound behemoth into a three-year-old child in the matter of seconds. He melted, and it dawned on me that uh, kids who haven't had a lot of hugs have a long way to go. And if you just show them a little bit of love, and you're willing to give to them a little bit of your time. You can change some things, and that is exactly, Bob, what what you've done. And I am I am I am just in awe of the work you've done. So, last question for you: How do we scale this, bro? How do we take your dream? How do we take what you've stumbled across and then been creative with, and then built and have such a passion for? How how does if we want to break the proverbial chains how how do we how do we scale this and is it scalable and is there a way that other people could reach out to you if they want to scale this in their community yeah you know i am like that is my uh the million dollar question it's the the question that i have on my brain actually every single day i put together expansion plans and and playbooks and you know you know leaning on my my football days to make sure that everybody understands exactly how this should work and this is probably the most transparent program you'll ever see in your entire life because if we don't teach it to everybody and with transparency and and fidelity and uh and and really you know putting the research behind it to make sure that that it is uh you know a viable solution for every municipality or for every county across the country then we really don't don't have anything you know but the bottom line is uh you know my vision and mission and vision on this is that we should be in 60 cities 120,000 people out of poverty and 30,000 kids served in the next 10 years now that was a big vision to have five, four or five years ago and now i see no reason why we really can't see this in every single county across the country because it's a it is a solution that you can bite the tire of it makes sense it doesn't it's not like you 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 know you go to a program and you're in, and you got to wait to see what's going on. And you walk in the doors here, and it's like every kid has walked into their into their workplace. Every person is here. It's a shared work environment. Everybody's treated equally. They're given opportunities that they never would have been able to dream of. But it's all about the the path to make that happen in any in any municipality that's across the across the country you could scale project lift the way it is uh just you know go in do your development you have three teams operations development and finance and administration you know components of it you take those three components you, and you you intertwine them equally yoke them equally yoke them work your development out understand where your funding needs to come from have an ambassador from every city that wants to do this because like i got to tell you Without an ambassador, you don't scale anywhere. You know, it's very, very difficult for Bob Zacchio or, you know, or for Bill to go into some community somewhere and say, hey, we're going to start this program uh, without having that one person who believes deeply and understands the community. Because you can't just force stuff on a community that does, does or does not need it. 
And then you could do it in a lot of different ways. One, you can put the programs, you know, you know, as they sit, you can't bastardize it. You got to you got to you got to pull the emotional intelligence components together with um, industry partners uh, to make sure they're all working together, because that's where the disruption is, Bill. It's like if we don't follow industry partners through what it is that they need, like, uh, for instance, your lumber company, you're you're going to need I don't I don't know lumber uh, at all. So I probably shouldn't even speak intelligently. But you got you've got you got you got certain positions that you need filled there. You have a talent acquisition issue going on. You probably have a retention problem. Why are we not teaching emotional intelligence inside of the workplace? And why aren't we teaching it to 14 year olds? So we need to know exactly what it is that the lumber company would need in order for us to teach that to a 14, 15 and 16 year old so that they'd have more success in the future. They're going to spend 90% of their life at your company. It's a career. That's their new family. We better teach them how to work well in that environment. Another way that you can you can scale Project Lift is, you know, by using already existing foundations that are that are running already. You, you know, one of the ways we've done it here is besides just the traditional scaling components are um, we uh, worked with the Police Athletic League. So Police Athletic Leagues traditionally don't have strong foundations, foundational supports in their environments. So we teach them how to do that. And then we put our operating system inside of different programs like that. So uh, you have your job readiness, employability, mental health components, uh, hands-on high-touch vocational training, and then obviously the destigmatizing of the mental health processes. Here's the process. Here's the operating system. Plug and play that right into your system that you have there at the Police Athletic League or a Boys and Girls Club or a Big Brothers and Big Sisters. And so you can kind of use the Uber ride path of the system itself to do that. You even do it with... Um, uh, veterans. I just, I just uh, piloted a program built with, with homeless. And I got to tell you, I, most people, when I say the word, Hey, we're working with homeless folks, you're automatically, you know, switch to access to diagnosis, schizophrenia and all these other things that are going on. And I got to tell you, it works with them too, with that population as well. It, you, you, you can deep dive this system in just about any plug and play scenario. I choose my mission and vision uh, 14 and 19 year olds because we haven't taught them anything and we need to we need to get them in that position so I don't know if that really answered your question Bill but I I agree with you I think it should be across the country not just because I'm the founder of the organization but because it makes sense it's it works Bob plug it how do how do people find it what where do they where do, what do they google yeah just google projectlift.org uh, O-R-G, so P-R-O-J-E-C-T-L-I-F-T dot O-R-G. You know, just jump on our website. You'll see everything I talked about is on there. Again, transparency is our number one uh, policy. You can even call my cell phone number if you want. It's 772-359-2554. Call me. I hope that you Home. get a hundred thousand calls tomorrow about <laughs> not not that i want you to have to deal with it but I, yeah. I hope that that people listening to us understand the phenomenal work that you and your organization are doing and 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 the success and 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 i hope folks see that you know you can be a a, a grandson of an immigrant and a, and a son of a sheetrock guy and do amazing things in this country, and and Bob, you're one of them. I, I I have really enjoyed speaking to you about this this evening. Me too. I have I, I cannot tell you how much I've enjoyed this conversation. I've been looking forward to it all week, and and I um I I can't tell you how 
uh, how much of an honor, honor it is to be on the phone with you and having this awesome discussion about things that I'm just so passionate about. And I could see that in, in the, uh, you know, I get to see the film and, and uh, also, you know, one of the conversations that you've had on this, but having a conversation with you is a whole new level. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> Bob, I, I, I wrote down a bunch of stuff. I don't even know what I said. Everybody, Bob Zacchio, uh, Project Lift in Palm City, Florida, um, has taken 5,000 kids. Uh, and I'm not talking about just normal kids. I'm talking about at-risk kids who've had drug problems and been in trouble with the law. And the, the court sent them to Bob, and he's taken 5,000 of them, and 72% of them have straightened their life out as compared to 27% of those kids nationally. It's a, it's a guy who's an average guy. He's an army of normal folk making a difference in our world. Bob Zacchio, thank you, my friend. Thank you, Bill. Can't thank you enough. Awesome time. Bob, I think we're good to go. Look, I mean, there's some production here and some cutting and editing and all of that, but I, I hope we do enough a good enough job that a lot of people hear the story because it's not for the production of the show when I tell you. I genuinely believe what you're doing is freaking phenomenal, dude. The success rate says it, and you 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 are one by one changing a community. And um, it, it, if we could just get people to see people like you and what you do, we could fix a lot of what else is. And, um, dude, you are part of that army for sure. Man, I, I'm, I'm humbled and, uh, and thankful to have had this conversation with you. And, uh, if you ever need me, holler. I definitely will. All right, my friends. Thank you for the, a great evening. Guys, to join an army of normal folks, just go to normalfolks.us. That's right, normalfolks.us and sign up and become a member of our movement. It only takes committing to doing one new thing this year to help somebody else. And there will be a ton of awesome ideas on this podcast from the folks we're featuring. Some of them may resonate with you deeply and others may not at all. And that's okay because we're called to do different things with the different talents each of us are blessed with. But together, with each of us doing what we can, we genuinely can change this country. We'd love to hear what you do. And if there's stories you've heard that you think we must tell, we'll tell them. Write me anytime at bill at normalfolks.us. As you've heard, everyone we're featuring, myself included, we're sharing our direct contact information. We're not just putting on a show, guys. We're, we're hoping to build a real community that's unlike anything America's ever seen. And if you enjoyed this episode, rate it, review it, share it with friends on social. All these things that will help us grow an army of normal folks. I'm Bill Courtney. Look forward to seeing you next week. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.